Welcome to Never Again is Now, a podcast about anti-Semitism. Not all rabbinical students these days have knowledge about Israel and deep affinity with it. Today we talk with a rabbi about his problem and about the new program he founded and is leading that is aiming to turn this around. I'm Evelyn Marcus, and in addition to being a psychologist, I am featured in the documentary about anti-Semitism, Never Again is Now. I am a Dutch Jew and a daughter of Holocaust survivors. In 2006, I emigrated to the United States because of the rising anti-Semitism in Europe. I am Phyllis Simbler-Meller, the founder of the free nonfiction Holocaust theater project, TheNedgeOfTheWedge.com. I grew up in Elgin, Illinois, a Midwestern town with one synagogue, and not a Holocaust community. And yet in September, 1970, only 25 years after the end of World War II and the Holocaust, my US Army officer husband and I were stationed in Munich, Germany, and this changed our lives as Jews forever. Rabbi Eris, Eretz Sherman serves as a co-senior rabbi at Sinai Temple, one of the oldest, largest, and most diverse synagogues in Los Angeles. He also hosts the podcast Rabbi on the Sideline, the intersection of sports and faith, and has appeared on TNT, ESPN, and Charles Barclay's talk show. Rabbi Sherman, it's great to have you on our show. Welcome, and thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Evelyn. Thank you, Phyllis. Your stories are inspirational in terms of your own journey through anti-Semitism and now how we can combat that issue uh, some people will say it's a challenge. I like to say it's an opportunity. Mm. That's interesting. We we, we want to hear more about that later in the interview. Um, so our our first um, our first question, uh, Rabbi Sherman, and and by the way, thank you for your kind words. Um, Sinai Temple in Los Angeles has recently launched the Sinai Temple Israel Center rabbinical school fellowship before we discuss the actual fellowship could you please share with us what cons what concerns led to the development of this fellowship so i'm going to go back to that word opportunity because around 15 years ago or so sinai temple launched the israel center the fact that a synagogue has an israel center is a beautiful thing and meant that anything israel oriented that came across our desk whether it was something about birthright or american friends of hebrew university or tel aviv university or the technion anything we always wanted our community within our walls and also within the larger los angeles jewish community to just know more and more about israel the people the stories the history the culture and so what led to the fellowship, however, was in 2021 during the Gaza War, that there was a letter signed by 100 rabbinical students, all non-Orthodox rabbinical students, I do want to be clear about that, um, that during the height of the war was not simply critical about the government of Israel, because every person in every country has the right to be critical of their own government, but really questioned what the meaning of the existence of the state of Israel is and was. And I remember I was flying home from a bar mitzvah and thankfully I bought the Wi-Fi that moment. And I said to Rabbi Wolpe, I was an assistant rabbi at the time, would you be okay if I wrote 
a response to this. And again, I use the response as an opportunity, not as a negative. And he said, absolutely. And thankfully with digital media, it was printed within a couple of hours in the Jewish journal by the help of David Suiza. And immediately I received calls from people like Judah Pearl, from some of the deans of the rabbinical students. Can, can we interrupt for a minute? Because yeah. I really always wanna give an opportunity to honor his son. So could you tell young people listening who Judah Pearl is and why Absolutely. His, his yes is so important? Yeah, so Judah, Judah Pearl, a professor at UCLA, but whose son was Daniel Pearl, blessed memory, who was a journalist who was killed, uh, I believe in Afghanistan. Um, or is it Afghanistan? It was within the Middle East during oh, the- yes. um, And now there's Daniel Pearl days throughout the, the, um, the years and honor- Can I just clarify, he was killed for being a Jew. Yes. And, and he, last his words. Last word, would you like to say his last words, which, as right. I recall, he was a reporter for the Wall Street Journal. Do you have them in front of you? I think they're. I they're don't have them in front of me. So if you do them, that would be great. Something like, my father was a Jew, my mother was a Jew, I'm a Jew. It was really powerful. And so his father is now, and I'm sure his mother has set up a foundation, I think. And that's why this is so important that he be interested in this. Yeah, so he wrote to me, and then gratefully, after this fellowship uh, led to our first mission just a couple of weeks ago, he wrote to me again um, in gratitude as well. And when you think about who was writing to me, it felt really good. But now what were we going to do about it? Because we can write and we can talk, but is it doing? And so right after that, in October of 2021, uh, a foundation reached out to Rabbi Wolpe and said, what can we do to do something in rabbinical schools or to help rabbinical students um, deal with this? And so I had just gone on an APAC trip. It's the Michael and Lisa LaFell Foundation APAC Rabbinical Fellowship for Rabbinical Students. And I was the conservative rabbinical mentor in 2019, right before COVID, literally days before. And that trip was amazing because it was right center and left on the bus. Students who were almost ready to become rabbis in their fourth and fifth years all across the denominations, conservative Orthodox reform. And it was the first time that I had been to Ramallah. It was through APAC. It was the first time I had done lots of different things, even though I had been to Israel over 20 times. But what I found on that trip, what was missing, and it's not LaFell or APAC's fault, it was simply what was missing, was I was wondering where all of the Israel education for these students had come from before their fourth years in school. And I did a lot of research of what's offered on college campuses, whether it's the Ivy Leagues or major um, college campuses with Jewish populations. And it's mostly conflict classes and not necessarily history of, right? The Israeli-Palestinian conflict or beginning Yiddish as well, if that's that interests people. And I realized that we, not everybody was on the same track in terms of the history of what Zionism was, what was happening in Herzl's life and Max Nordahl's life and Jabotinsky's and Achada Am's. We have to start there. And so I thought if we could begin with our first and second year students and have them have an immersive experience together, then when they get to their fourth and fifth years, it can be even a more polished product because one dean of a school told me, you know, during that letter, I was, I was happy that no older students signed it. It was just our first year students. Ooh, very so interesting. I thought to myself, those first year students can also run for Congress. And if they ran for Congress, as we're talking today, would they be like others who are going to boycott Bougie Herzog in the halls of Congress? Or are they going to say, this is the state of Israel? 
And again, it's not a 100% I agree with everything that government of Israel does. It's the acceptance of the establishment of a Jewish state. And so we decided to base the curriculum around really the Declaration of Independence of the State of Israel, not the Constitution, because there is none. Maybe that is a question that we can talk about at a different time. But how did the founders of Zionism and the State of Israel, what were their goals? Have they met them? And how can we um, continue to confront those challenges and also celebrate their achievements, which is as important as confronting the challenges as well? That is... That is great. That is absolutely great. Um, so they, they, from what I understand, Rabbi Sherman, they, there is a, um, let's say there is a lot of, of criticism of Israel, which develop and, and the rabbinical students that developed into um, anti-Zionism even. And I, as I understand it also, it's, um, there's not enough knowledge of the history of Zionism. Is that correct? So I think the last part is the correct piece. Look, okay. we are all, I, I'm still learning about Zionism and stories that I hear, right? Every single day that are only being discovered today. Yes. But it is not that there's not education. Believe me, rabbinical schools, I want to be on record for this. Rabbinical schools have classes on Zionism in Israel. Most of them spend time in Israel. But for instance, a student from an Orthodox seminary told me, I have spent two years learning in Israel. I have not spent time learning about Israel. You can be sitting in the old city in yeshivas, simply, not simply, deeply studying our Talmud and Torah and uh, responses without understanding what's happening outside the walls of your yeshiva. Yes. So this brought different denominations together to realize. And when we were going through funding process and Rabbi Wolpe was really helpful in this, I said, you know, the funders are asking me, why would an Orthodox institution want to join what a conservative synagogue is doing that has reformed students in it? And he said, I love this. He said, you can't talk about keeping kosher. We have different ways of doing that. We can't talk about Shabbat observance and the chitz or music or different things. We're not going to have that um, symbiotic relationship. When it comes to Israel, we're going to be able to at least speak about it and have a larger table of that. And when I knocked on the doors virtually of all these deans, one by one, they all signed up and they said, you know what, I think this will not replace what we're doing, but it will supplement to allow these students to come back to us with the deeper, nuanced, complicated picture of Israel. And so then it was up to us to actually put together an itinerary that matched the goals of what I was hearing of these students. It couldn't be what I wanted to do. It had to be where they were. And then I, we had to ask the question where we wanted them to get to. And I can just tell you one story that happened Friday, this Friday. That one of our students came to Sinai Temple for our Ted and Hedy Orden family, Friday Night Live, Young Professional Shabbat. That student is reformed, became really good friends with one of the Orthodox students, and now they're starting an interdenominational podcast about how rabbis can speak to each other. So if oh, that yeah. happened, if that happened because they came to Israel with us, that's a win. That's a victory for Jews against anti-Semitism, for Zionism. It happened in the land of Israel. Yes, fantastic. That's really oh. a great story. Yes. 
So when you were developing this concept, what did you exactly develop? What did you decide needed done? This piece, that piece, the next piece. So we were very intentional on using the word Zionism because it irks some people today. And it was Zionism through X, Zionism through Y. So the first, uh, and we've had many different speakers, but for instance, we had uh, Oren Jacobson from Project Shema, which is a progressive organization. And he was explaining why, even though of course there is Zionism in progressive world, why sometimes anti-Zionism creeps up. And he gave an amazing historical lesson, specifically in American Zionism, because it's different when you're in Israel than what we're dealing with here. And the, you could see the students' heads nodding, yes, wow, you know, I never thought about it like that. And we, so that was one. The next we had Bassem Aid, who is a Palestinian human rights activist who speaks equally out against everybody. And so <laughs> he will criticize Israel, but he will also criticize the Palestinian leadership saying, that is what needs to change as opposed to me on the ground who want to make a living and have, you know, a, a just, food on my table for my family. We also spoke to Dr. Mona Kori Kasabri, who is the first female Arab VP of Hebrew University. We had a beautiful Sinai Temple Israel Center had a beautiful partnership with American Friends of Hebrew University this year with a couple of lectures. And she was one of them. And she's the DEI, the um, Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Officer of Hebrew U. And she explained how she has brought more Haredim into Hebrew University. How she brought more Arabs into Hebrew U. And when she was a student in Hebrew U 30 years ago, there were like these different people standing on different sides of the wall. And now it's not perfect, but they are in the room together having those conversations. And so um, it was Zionism through X, Zionism through Y. And when the students started to understand our approach of how we were doing that, they, they bought in and they understood. So for instance, this one story on the trip, in one day we visited Rabbi Leo D., in Efrat, who lost his family to the terrorist attack, his wife and two, two of his children. And the next day, we went to the Palestinian side of Bethlehem with a Palestinian journalist from the New York Times, Rami Nazal. Those are two very different experiences, three miles apart. And then the students were saying, we need to process this. And so it was a lot of actually talking about what they experienced and in context, because many other... not not. Other organizations will take you just to one. We're going to go to Palestinian Bethlehem. This is what you see in the box. And this is why you have to think X. We're going to go to Efrat. And this is why you have to think Y. But if you can put them all together and then really process that in that word, which is, I would say, often used, but really true, complicated, then you can take a step back and say, well, okay, I can appreciate this Jewish state for what it is. I can also appreciate the state for why it has its challenges and how can we be part of a better future? Amazing. I think it's a, a very original and, and wise approach and, and probably very effective. Um, so you, do, you did a one-year pilot with the program, correct? That is correct. And so what were the results coming out of that? Yeah. So when we were doing the recruitment, I was thinking I was like Abraham trying to find the 10 righteous people in Sodom, starting with 50, going to 20. I remember going to the funder saying like, can I take educators, not just rabbis? I just need to fill this bus. It's not my dollars. It's your dollars, but we're going to do this. And they said, stick with rabbis. You're going to go. You're going to go. And we got it. We actually had more applicants than the funding available. Um, 
And so the results are things like I just shared with you um, that an Orthodox and Reformed student become friends. They have no similarities besides its love of Israel. The results were this coming week, there's an op-ed from one of the students in the Jewish exponent of Philadelphia sharing the complications of this. The results were these students learning now how to use their voice. So one of the deans told me also, and I'm not saying the schools intentionally, that because I said, our result is there'll be no more letter like that ever again. And this dean corrected me and said, I don't think so. I would prefer saying, when the next letter is written, what will it look like? And I believe that we have 16 students that instead of simply writing a tweet and putting it out there and the media getting hold of it, they can come back to our WhatsApp group. They could think critically together. And they say, as a team of Zionists, what is our response, right? What is it going to be their response when Bougie Herzog comes, when Netanyahu is not invited or he is now is going to be invited by Biden? How can we come back to our team here and work together to not just be in the same classroom studying Midrash saying, that's a Zionist, that's an anti-Zionist. So those were the small results. And actually one student said, I want to be the intern for the fellowship this next year. That's a huge result saying, I'm in for this. I want to build a future with us. And for Sinai Temple, we believe that the discourse that we have, that we present to the community in at large is the right type of discourse when it comes to Israel, politics, culture, art, everything. Fantastic. So, so uh, the students who participate, who participated now, uh, they, they have a group now uh, mm-hmm. where they can um, uh, brainstorm with and, dis- and discuss with how to react to, let's say, Israel challenges of today. Right. And actually, there's based on both of your work and being a Munich and against anti-Semitism, the two Orthodox students after our trip did not come home. They went to Germany with a different fellowship that were working with clergy of different faiths, speaking about how um, about the Holocaust and not necessarily blame, but responsibility of clergy speaking up. And so They just had this experience in Israel. Obviously, Holocaust themes come up within the state of Israel. And then they went back to Poland and Germany for another 10 days with the with what we discussed and spoke with them about. It was really fascinating. And now I'm following them. So while they first saw me as a leader, the stuff that these young people are doing are really inspiring. I'm looking forward to being colleagues with all of them in just a matter of years. Wow. Right. Can we go uh, step back for a minute and just, so for X months, did they hear Zoom conferences and then went to Israel? In other words, what did it, the program actually look like? Yep. So there was a recruitment period last October where, to be honest, it was a lot of trust in me and me representing Sinai Temple. And so the first thing we did was put together a committee of non, of all denomina- cross-denominational rabbinic committee so they could see the minute they turned on the Zoom interview that people across the board believed in this. Many of them were involved with the LaFell Fellowship as past mentors. And so um, we did the interviews in January, 2023. We began monthly seminars. So first we had a little welcome. Uh, Then we had monthly seminars. And after each seminar, each one was required to write a 500 word op-ed for each other, not to publish or anything. 
just so they begin thinking of the critical piece, not just like, I didn't like that, or that was my favorite speaker ever. Tell me what you think. And also others will react to it. Um, and then we built the trip um, based on that. We went on the mission in June. And one of our other funders is JNF USA under the leadership of Russell Robinson. And so in December, we will be going to Denver for the JNF USA National Conference, where we will have the opportunity to discuss those topics back here in the United States. There's some wonderful speakers that are coming to the conference and we'll be uh, a uh, part of that conference and have our own little group as well to dig deeper into what we've established. And then the last piece is mentorship. I've reached out to 16 different rabbis around the country based on knowing these students. And within there, it's meeting with the rabbi, but also using their voice, either in writing or podcast or um, bulletins or speaking, not just about, not about the trip, that, that's fine, but about the approach of what we taught and how that can be used. So have an audience, see what that feels like. One dean told me when they wrote the letter, the letter they wrote to, the letter's audience was nobody and therefore it was everybody, right? Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't to dear Phyllis or dear Evelyn or dear Erez, it was dear nobody. And so this is what we think. Does it really represent everybody? No, maybe it represented actually a small group that blossomed up. But let's think about how we present these ideas. And the first, the pilot program was all different years of rabbinic students, is that correct? But now for, when are you taking applications now for this program? Let's talk about the nitty gritty. Yep. And do you only want first year rabbinic students? What do you want? What do you, who are you looking for? Yeah, so like I said before, I'm not looking to supplant anything that already exists. Just as in the podcast world, it's very saturated. Same thing in the rabbinical school fellowship world. There's lots of fellowships out there. So we are looking for first and second year students. And I say that because HUC, by the way, Hebrew Union College in New York and LA, they spend their first year in Israel. So it was really interesting. We had three or four participants during this year that were in, living in Israel at the time. So we were discussing it from America. They were living it. And now next year, when we do the three Zooms after the JNF conference, they're going to be back in America. And that first year is going to be over there. So it was a really an international group. Um, but like we said, we're looking for the first and second years because when I've said this before to some other media outlets, um, when you become a rabbinical school student, in most people's eyes, you're already a rabbi. And so you are. And therefore, you know, what do you think about? What do you think about? What do you think about abortion? What do you think about immigration? What do you think about Israel? Well, if you're going to have that voice immediately, then we need to begin to understand how to use that voice in the um, in, in the complicated way. So we, we had very few that were beyond second year. Uh, there were a couple of aberrations because we thought it was the right fit and they would be able to be messengers to their schools. Um, but we're excited for those 16 to honestly recruit the next 16, because they're in those schools. I'm sitting in an office here. And what's revolutionary about this idea that also they asked, why Sinai Temple? The fact that a synagogue is um, approaching seminary saying, we're actually concerned about the product coming out because who am I going to hire as my next assistant rabbi? Who am I going to hire as my next rabbi in my day school teaching my children about Israel and Zionism? Who's going to be on our Hillel campuses? Um, so we want to make sure, again, not that um, we're simply flag-waving Zionists, but we are critical-thinking Jews who care deeply about the, and I use these words in a loaded way, the democratic 
Jewish state, which has lots of things to think about today. And I think it's amazing uh, how your synagogue steps up uh, for the next, you know, to create a next generation of rabbis um, who who are stand firm um, about Israel, what in whatever way they stand for it, but at least they have thought about it thoroughly. Uh, will have thought about it thoroughly and with input from many sides uh, after going through your program. I, I think it's amazing how you as a synagogue um, step up for that. And the community really supports that. Um, like I said, it, like what you said, it's it's a critical way of thinking about Israel and something that happened. We had a session, uh, it was actually at a winery, so the wine helped a little, um, but it was a Haredi rabbi who's in an Orthodox yeshiva in Jerusalem, and uh, the Uri Kedar from uh, Yisrael Chofshit, who's trying to sort of separate religion and state in ways that we do in this country, and there's some challenges in Israel about that. They were sitting next to each other, right? They were talking to us together. They were saying very different things. Uh, and there were some students that didn't agree with one and didn't agree with the other, and some student was almost so visibly upset that they were going to walk, like, just take a break and leave the room. And afterwards, the student came up to us and it was in the middle of the trip and said, what I've learned is words might upset me, ideas might upset me, but if I'm not at the table, then people won't see me either. And so there's been, you know, sort of this movement of, I won't talk to this government official because they're X, or I won't talk to this government official because they're Y. If they see that you also exist in the conversation, Sippy Livni actually told the rabbinical assembly in 2009, for conservative Jews, we don't know you. So if I don't know you, then I can't know what to think about you. So how do we get to know each other? And again, it sounds so simple, but there was a lot of depth on this trip that I'm, we haven't had our Zoom yet since we just got back a couple of weeks ago, but I'm excited when we turn on that Zoom the next time. For three months, we didn't really know each other. There were Zoom boxes. And on the first day of the trip, our tour educator, Yisrael Klitzner, who's brilliant, everybody should know his name, Yisrael Klitzner. His parents are Judy Klitzner from Pardes and his father, Rabbi Steve Klitzner. Um, and he asked, our icebreaker was, say one word that you are thinking about right now, or feeling about this trip. And everybody said either nervous, excited, this, this, this. And on the last day of the trip, um, you had to say that word again, and explain how you were feeling. For my word, I said future with a question mark the first night. And the last night I said, my word is still future, but future with an exclamation point. This immersive experience gave us this time to just do this together. And now they've students have spread their wings and I'm just really excited for them this year to see what they're gonna do. So back to the nitty gritty. Someone listening to this podcast is a rabbinic student. How do they get in touch with you? Uh, when do they, our applications do by? Yep. So uh, it is on our website. We're going to start accepting applications come September. Um, we'll do interviews in like mid-October. So SinaiTemple.org. Um, there's a whole sheet on there for the Sinai Temple Israel Center Rabbinical School Fellowship right on the front page. We're about to post all the media um, that happened and Every major Jewish publication picked it up, whether it was E-Jewish Philanthropy, The Forward, Jewish Journal. And what was awesome is there's also some media that happened in the local markets of where the students are. 
right? So if there's a student in Jacksonville, Florida, then we went to them saying, hey, you know, you have a student in rabbinical school who grew up here. So great, the Jewish papers, they know our stories. Or the Akron Jewish News, it was in there. The Detroit Jewish News. In smaller markets that people understand that they are raising the next generation of Jewish leaders, they should know what product is also coming home as well. Very interesting. Evelyn? Um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I, I'm very inspired by, by what you're telling us. Um, I'm thinking back of my own year of studies at uh, Pardes. You just mm -hmm. mentioned it. Yes. Um, and um, I am not raised as a, uh, as a religious Jew. I went in somewhat religious. I came out non-religious. But it was my best year of studies. I was there with Orthodox students, uh, reform students, um, and, and other denominations of Judaism. Um, it was so inspiring to be together with all these different uh, thinking people and, and learn together because everything you, you, you learn in the yeshiva is so with somebody else, with your chevruta. Uh -huh. uh, so you always discuss and so I can totally appreciate the value of hearing so many different opinions on one subject um, th that's just an amazing uh, experience and, and very critical for developing your thinking um, yourself um, so I, I, I can totally appreciate what you're doing and um, I really hope that both the, the the students who can use this program and also the people who make this program possible mm -hmm. um, will get all the support um, and and will you know get all the help and and inspiration and motivation uh, to keep doing this. I want to give a moment of gratitude to those who have made this possible. That of course is the Sinai Temple Israel Center, but also the Paul E. Singer Foundation, uh, the JNF USA, and the Michael and Lisa LaFell Foundation, who I want to say took a gamble on uh, what Sinai Temple could do. And we're doing it and we're really excited. I'm also really proud of um, Amplified Judaism within the reform movement of Rabbi Amiel Hirsch and Rabbi Tracy Kaplowitz. What they're doing just had this um, conference of 300 reform rabbis called Recharging Judaism. Those lectures are playing all over the place. I have a feeling that we're gonna be doing our own thing together and then soon we're gonna go like this and it's gonna become a greater mo uh, greater movement to, again, like I said in the beginning, an opportunity to yes. use the voices of uh, Zionist rabbis who maybe just didn't think it was their time to shine. I, li I like that it's an ending very much, but if you'd like to say anything else's last thoughts, you have the floor for a couple more minutes. So I've been a rabbi in the field since 2009. It's almost 15 years. When I was at the Jewish Theological Seminary, it was an amazing, amazing place. These fellowships didn't exist. And there's a lots of fellowships like that are cross-denominational now. Um, but Israel was a personal thing. It's where my three of my mom's five siblings made Aliyah. It's where I went to see family. I didn't have it as or didn't understand what it meant to use the rabbinic voice in the Israel sphere. 
what I've learned at Sinai Temple and specifically from Rabbi David Wolpe, our next web emeritus, senior, <laughs> emeritus rabbi, is how to use that. And what Rabbi Wolpe likes to say is we don't talk about Pencer Pelosi at synagogue. We talk about Moshe, Joshua, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. If those thoughts about our ancestors and our founding leaders of Zionism could inspire you to think in a more modern way about Zionism, then I believe we've done our job. And I said this a lot, but from the beginning to the end of that trip, I don't think the students still know who I voted for and who I would have <laughs> voted for in Israel. And that's a really important piece when we talk about Zionism, because often yeah. you say it's right wing, it's left wing. Zionism is a big picture. It was a big tent within the founding fathers of Zionism. It's a big tent now. And I think the Jewish Zionist world is trying to maybe define that tent. And I think it can be defined when, as Evelyn said, to hear this diversity of opinions at the table. I can tell you on this trip, I put on um, visits to places that challenge my own beliefs and thinking. It was very hard to do, but if I could show another student that you can also listen to something that you might not even still believe after you saw it, but you could be there, that's crucial in this world of tweets and posts and fact-finding. So I appreciate um, what you're doing and really spreading the word of how to be involved in this conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rabbi Sherman. This has been so enlightening. Thank you to our listeners for listening. And I hope being inspired, those of you who have not yet seen Evelyn's documentary, Never Again Is Now, please do see it on Amazon and YouTube. You can learn more about my uh, nonfiction Holocaust theater project at thinedgeofthewedge.com. And as we end every episode, we say, please, without putting yourself in physical harm, speak up against anti-Semitism and all hate.